Welcome, friends, to another From the Vault episode, this one on the 1980 animated film The Return of the King. Yeah, it's the Rinkin-Bass animated film, if anyone's seen that. Uh, Luke, I remember you telling me that it was really formative for your Lord of the Rings knowledge as a kid, right? Yeah, so the, The Hobbit... The Rankin-Bass Hobbit animated film was. I had seen this, but I wouldn't call this one particularly formative. You know, I have some nostalgia for it, but yeah, I think I only saw it the one time. This is definitely the lesser version of the two, so I am like, we are going to watch the better version of The Hobbit. Uh, sorry, the the better animated film of The Hobbit at some point, um, so I can show you that like this production company actually can make a good Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> <laughs> Historically, they have before. Yeah, um, and, and so this one's a weird one. Um, it, there was some interesting stuff that went on behind the scenes. I've learned a little more about it since we actually recorded this episode, um, but it was still it's still a fun one to listen to. Um, this is kind of what we do over on Patreon. Uh, it is like a less researched but still has plenty of opinions uh, and a little bit shorter uh, version of our episodes and of our regular content. Um, but hopefully it's still a lot of fun and, and you all enjoy it. Um, we are off this week for Thanksgiving. Hopefully you all have a happy, healthy, uh, fun time with yours. Um, do you have any plans, James? You want to share anything fun? Uh, just hanging out with family, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what you do. I am also going to be hanging out with some family on my uh, wife's side. We're, we're not flying to Florida like I sometimes do this year, unfortunately, but it uh, should be a good time. I usually eat a bunch of food and then like take a nap while watching football. Uh, that's usually yep. my, my Thanksgiving tradition. <laughs> Yeah, I can remember many times watching the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films during around this time, you know, when Thanksgiving comes around, everybody's like hanging out after eating and they want to watch something. No better time to start a nine hour journey plus, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, speaking of fantasy, we are in the midst of our Wheel of Time coverage. Uh, our, our book episode is out. Obviously, we will be coming back with our second book episode uh, next week. So look forward to that. Um, and then we will be diving into the show. So lots of fantasy ahead. Uh, hopefully you all join us, Lord of the Rings fans. Uh, you should be you should be taking note of Wheel of Time. Um, it's a it's a it's a big one. All right. Well, we hope you enjoy this, and we'll see you back for our regularly scheduled Wheel of Time coverage the week after Thanksgiving. This week we're talking about the Return of the King, the animated 1980 version of the Return of the King. Um, which is a pretty bizarre, uh, just piece of eighties weirdness. Um, you know, it's, I guess it actually originally aired in 1979 was the thing I was reading. So, you know, it's, it's something that I had seen before as a kid, uh, and watching it as adult was uh, a very different experience. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think that I've seen this before. Um, but I have seen the Lord of the Rings uh, animated that we watched together for the podcast already. And w I'm sure that'll come up as well in kind of comparison. But I kind of was thinking while watching this, like, damn, this is Luke's first sort of introduction to Return of the King. And uh, I was just thinking about how, like, it's it's such a squashed version of the story. Lots of folk songs that are kind of added in, folky-like songs. Um, and... It was kind of a drag. I was, I don't know. It, there were parts that I enjoyed about it, but overall, there's there was a lot of stuff to uh, kind of laugh at. But then again, there's, I, I think there is some influence that that Peter Jackson probably drew from this, and you can see there there are the moments that are like 
word for word from Tolkien's work. So I'm sure, you know, in 1979 or 1980, when this came out to have the actual written word spoken by voice actors and animated to see it all, it was probably pretty magical for kids. And, and I think that's the main thing is it, it was very much geared to be sort of a children's animated story of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it in some nostalgic ways, but like really my nostalgia goes to the 1977 uh, adaptation of The Hobbit that um, this sort of Rankin-Bass production company did. Same company who did this one. And this was actually intended to be sort of a sequel. And it's working, when it's in, when it was in production, they called it The Hobbit 2. It wasn't until later that they ended up calling it The Return of the King. Um, it sounds like things got kind of messy because the Ralph Bakshi version of The Lord of the Rings came out. And some people liked it, but some people didn't. Um, and I guess there was like going to be a sequel to it, but then it ended up getting canceled or they ended up not making it. And then so a lot of people view this as a sequel to the Bakshi uh, Lord of the Rings. And, you know, which makes sense because it went all the way up through two towers and this takes up this kind of picks up in uh, The Return of the King. But it's really weird because in other ways, it's made to almost be this standalone film or the sequel to The Hobbit. And it just kind of glosses over all the events of Fellowship and, and the Two Towers. Well, Bakshi was still involved, right? No, I know it's Rankin Bass. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know what what Bakshi's involvement might have been, but this is not. He was not one of the animators. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, we talked about it in the Lord of the Rings animated episode. It's they they went with sort of like a cell shading or sorry, uh, cell animation mixed with that roto rotoscoped stuff that was kind of early tech at the time that they were using to to get the animation and i definitely did not miss that rotoscope look of of lord of the rings this one this one right because there was there was hardly any of that here i don't think i saw any of it maybe there was a little bit i don't know i'm not i don't have a perfect eye for it but and for most parts it wasn't there i'm sure there was a little bit of it here and there i think sometimes when i saw like flames or, or things like that that would be really difficult to animate they were probably rotoscoping some of that stuff but it wasn't like it wasn't like in the first one where it was just uncanny and didn't it was just yeah i I don't know it hit this uncanny valley and like everything looked weird about it and it didn't work as like a as like an acted performance and it also didn't work as an animated performance so it was just overall weird the uh this one so as just like a standalone story like you're talking about it kind of sets this the stage with the the end of the story and we're we're flashing back while telling Bilbo the story of how yeah. the return of the king happened which i thought was a weird framing device it's it's tough man it's like i don't know how you make this movie like with the time constraints you have and the story you're trying to tell it really feels impossible and it feels like it shouldn't have even been attempted like don't even bother and this is a great example of like or at least you can show this to someone and say like see Peter Jackson did need three hours to make Return of the King legitimately good and, and like, you know, hit on every part that you need to understand. Because this, I don't think that if I didn't have such a grasp on the story of Return of the King, I definitely don't think I would have followed what the fuck was going on. Oh, no. And that's the thing. Like, I was thinking back about when I saw it as a kid and I was a huge fan of The Hobbit, the original animated Hobbit. Like I used to watch that. I had it on VHS and I think it was recorded off of the television special. And I, I ran that recording until it didn't work anymore. And, and then, like, my parents had to go out and buy me the actual copy of it, like a legitimate copy. And I think I run that I ran that one ragged, too. Loved The Hobbit and this production company's version of it. Um, and, 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 you know, like, I'm sure we'll revisit that at some point when we get to The Hobbit. Um, I'm sure a lot of that was because it had a lot of songs in it. I was very young. 
and it just spoke to me in a way that that was like comforting and and exciting and a little bit bizarre and weird at times for sure but um my memory of that is having so much more color to it and and being so much more of more of a magical uh production whereas this was like so much of it is spent in mordor so much of it is spent with the orcs so much of it is spent in battles it was really dark and you had this minstrel doing trying to like capture some of that song magic i think that was in the hobbit but it it felt like weirdly out of place for this tonally we had the um the orcs singing songs we had people singing songs and it just like i don't know man it was it was a b- bizarre mishmash we got to talk about some of the songs, the bonkers songs. Like I have was you been, like, have you been singing them today? Like while you're just walking around, have you been like singing these songs over and over again? No, or is but, that just me? No, but my <laughs> so so let me let me lay this out. So Caitlin was like not watching it. My girlfriend, who's your sister, and so she uh-huh. remembered one of the songs, and I was she was I, I she was like I don't think I ever saw this. Where one. there's a whip, there's a way. Yes. I was, she was yep. like, I don't think I ever saw this one. Um, and I was like, well, I'm like, does it have the whip song in it? Because that's the most fucking ridiculous song. And it just, it made no sense. It was kind of definitely offensive when it comes down to it. But I guess, you know, it's based in in Tolkien's, there's a there's some sort of whip thing that goes on in yeah. Tolkien's around the same it's time. It's some lines that are that are talked in there, yeah. So, so I'm sure it has roots with that. But it just like felt weird to be singing songs about i don't know it's supposed to be like a fun cool song but you're talking about whipping people and stuff and in america yeah. for sure that's not that's not something to you know sing songs right about. so just in general that was that was jarring and the song was not good either <laughs> like that like none of the none of the songs really stuck out to me as like uh something that that had any i don't know to me they just seemed like somebody was like all right what's going on in the story let's just sing that and like yeah <laughs> there's like some of them are a little more catchy than others um but gosh. yeah, I, I mean, I got to disagree with you a little bit. I think I think the whip song is pretty good. I mean, I, I agree that like it's maybe a little bit insensitive if you look at it from that light. Um, but I mean, if you take it, take it on face value, it's about these orcs going to war and they don't want to go to war and they're singing this song about it. Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense, like story wise or anything. But like the story hook is there and it will catch in your brain. And like all, all yeah. fucking day I've been hearing it. <laughs> and um, I, I think there's there's got to be something to that. And in the Frodo of the Nine Fingers, that part too, like that, just that hook just keeps catching in my brain too. And I think it's because I've heard a lot of the songs from The Hobbit, which which I think are legitimately better, um, which was made by the same people, right? Like it was the same minstrel, um, a lot of the same voice actors from the original production of The Hobbit returned for this. So Gandalf, like when I heard Gandalf talking, I had a huge nostalgia trip because that is my Gandalf that I grew up with. So hearing his voice, it was like this is my Gandalf, you know. That I mean, and he was the narrator. I think he did that. That voice definitely was was perfect for for Gandalf in terms of like mm-hmm. seeming otherworldly, powerful, and also like being just the like he narrator. seems like he has all this knowledge and yeah. he's really wise. Old, yeah, I don't know. It just works for me. Uh, for I don't know. It, I something about and and I'm the kind of person that like I'll watch musicals, I'll watch an animated musical. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm all in for a Disney film that's a that's a, a animated. But for some reason, maybe I was just in a weird mood. But none of all of these songs to me just seem very i don't know they none of the it just when a song would start up i'd be like of course there's a song here because it felt like there's a yeah. song every few minutes um yeah. and a lot of them like i said were just like kind of giving you plot of what's happening but yeah. not feeling which is like if they had filled in the gaps of what they didn't show i feel like maybe that would have made more sense to me but they were literally the things that they were showing on screen they were also singing about so it's not like filling yeah. in the gaps and sort of like trying to get the whole story that way it was tough yeah. no and i know what you mean I, and like the two I mentioned were catchy and and I kind of want to defend them a little bit, but 
all the other songs are bad. <laughs> and even parts of these songs, you know, like you said, like the Frodo of the Nine Fingers one, like one of the reasons it sticks in your head a little bit is because they repeated it so many times. Yeah. And the Ring of Doom. And yeah. um, over and over and over again. And yeah, they, he to- they totally used that song to like tell tons of just exposition about things that have happened in the past. And it's a terrible way to do it. It's a terrible way to tell a story. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work. So like, I'm not, I'm not defending that at all. It's <laughs> that part was definitely bad. Yeah. The Frodo of the Nine Fingers, like, by the end, I was like, oh, this is the theme song, so I guess I should get excited for the end of the story. <laughs> and, you know, like, what's funny is, like, my attachment to some of these characters still had me somewhat attached to the, to the movie at times. Um, yeah. Some of the Frodo and Sam stuff, uh, I don't think they leaned into as much as they could have. Maybe it was because it was a kid's book or a kid's story, and they were trying to, you know, get, gear it towards being this this specific animated movie is for for children mm-hmm. um and you know i think as some of the times that the characters are in peril things like that maybe they pulled back a little but there's a moment when they're running down mount doom after they've destroyed the ring where uh <laughs> while in mid stride frodo frodo gives the i'm glad that you're here sam at the end of all things like as they're running <laughs> yeah. and i thought that was like the weirdest way to de- deliver yeah. that line uh, and then there was a moment when the lava was like coming down, like about to get them. And they're like, this is it. And then oh, the last line we get is Frodo saying, die well, Sam. And then like we get like a fade to red, like the lava like flows over and it fades to red. And I was like, that's such a weird last line to say to somebody like die well. And then like uh-huh, get hit by yeah. a lava wave. Yeah, no, I mean, so much of the writing was bad. I, I think you you sent me like a Snapchat of one of the lines. Do you want to you share that? Yeah, it was. I, I specifically in it said that this is in the Snapchat had the text. This is pure poetry. So we get Sam running into Mount Doom saying like, we're finally here, Frodo. Do what you must do. So let me let me give you the actual verbatim of what's what's said here. Do what you've come all this way to do now, which is what Sam said. And then Frodo says, I have come, but I do not choose to do now what I have come to do. And I, I could not, I watched that part probably five times um, because <laughs> I just good. couldn't believe good. how good it was. Uh, yeah. And then they're in there for days or something. There was like a weird time thing where they were like, well, we, we just cut away from them and we did all this other stuff. So we have to say that he's been wandering around there for days, but it didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know. I'm not really that interested in trying to like pick apart the story because like right. it was a clusterfuck. They, it, it was... It should not have been attempted. There was too, way too much they were trying to do. They had to omit so much. Right. Like, I think they blended Pelennor Fields and and uh, the, the Siege of Minas Tirith, right? Con- no, I guess they didn't because we had the Black Gate. But it seemed like they wanted to try to blend that and have that be the last major battle, the Minas Tirith battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there there was... It was kind of all over the place, man. It's hard to even track what, what all was done. But, um, I mean... Some of it was okay. It's weird to get... I, okay. Also, pronounce, pronunciation, all over the place. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, we didn't have the film versions which feel definitive, so so maybe it was more interpretive, but it just... It felt like whenever they could pronounce something in a weird way, they were going to do it. I think Theoden. <laughs> they had Theoden as, like, Theoden? Theoden or something? Yeah. Um, Minus Tirith? Yeah. Yeah. Which, it was it was bizarre, Again, man. people, you know, may, you know I, maybe... Peter Jackson had people who were, you know, linguists who, who like analyzed the words and said like, what do you think Tolkien wanted this to actually sound like for, for, yeah. but then again, maybe he didn't, maybe he just went with the, like whatever pref- preferable pronunciation, whatever the community had decided at that point. Um, a couple things. 
I feel like, you know, obviously we've talked about, we, I don't think we recommend this. Uh, if you're a massive Lord of the Rings fan, maybe check no. it out just for, just for having that sort of touchstone. Yeah. yeah if you want to, and you, and we found we, it was on like internet archive or something, you can find it. So if you, which, you know, like it's not a site I usually recommend for anything, but like, I think for this thing, it's fine. Just go watch the, if you want to just skip around, get a taste for it. Um, see what it's like. And yeah, they're like, that's fine. Go clips, check it out. There are like clips on YouTube, but I think something still stands out. I think Gollum is still the best part of this movie as well. Right. And he, was, he it's really just because he's a carryover from how good he was in The Hobbit, you know, in the original Hobbit version. Because like, yeah, exactly. That was my Hobbit. Uh, that was my Gollum that I grew up with. So I, I have a st- certain nostalgia for him. But he's not really, he doesn't really have a lot to do here. Um, but I mean, yeah, he's definitely, he's like a little weird frog. I don't know. He, he definitely, works for me, I, I can literally see how Peter Jackson would look at something like this and kind of say like, all right, they kind of got some of Gollum right. Let's make him a little more cutesy, lean into mm-hmm. the precious a lot, talk about precious a lot, a lot. Like, like that's what mm-hmm. happened in this. Well, he did too. Yeah, exactly. That's what, so I think, I think that's maybe some a moment that he pulled from there. Um, mm-hmm. I, a lot of the major sort of, I, and maybe it's because there was so much art done of Tolkien's world, but a lot of the, like, Minas Tirith, a lot of the major areas kind of looked like they eventually would look in Peter Jackson's film as well. Like, Minas Tirith looked almost exactly like like what we get in the film. Yeah, you sent me a, a an image of uh, of the Shire that, like, Tolkien drew himself, or, like, painted himself, or however he made it. Um, and whenever they're in the Shire, whenever they talk to reference the Shire, it looked a lot like that. Like those are definitely used as sort of the inspiration. And I think that was true in the Hobbit as well. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about Rankin Bass Productions because, um, actually I was reading about it and they're pretty interesting. Um, they also, they would outsource most of their, most of their animation to like Jack, uh, several different Japanese animation companies. Wow. Um, which is interesting. Uh, the, 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 the style looks extremely dated now, but in if you grew up at a certain time and you watch certain Christmas specials, you might recognize some of it because they were the ones who did Frosty the Snowman. They were the ones who did um, the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, the Little Drummer Boy. They also were involved with uh, a couple of Studio Ghibli works, um, Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, and My Neighbor Totoro. Totoro? Totoro, yeah. I say Ghibli. I don't know. I think people say it differently, but Ghibli. Yeah, Ghibli. I think I've heard it both ways, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I'm talking about, though. I, I don't know about you. I grew up on Frosty the Snowman, uh, Rudolph the red Norse Reindeer. Um, they also did something called The Year Without a Santa Claus. They did Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas. Um, they did Frosty's Winter Wonderland. I mean, these these were constantly on TV. Yeah, like every they were every on TV, time. right? These were like major ABC specials, right. and they would put them out around Christmas time. Christmas Eve, you would um, watch one of these before bed, kind of thing. Eat some milk and cookies. Yeah, that, that, yeah I, I I definitely had that experience. They did a they did something called The Last Dinosaur, um, King Kong Escapes, a couple of non Christmas specials too, and then yeah they were known for The Hobbit, which was which was a big hit for them, and then this was like their sequel. Oh, they also did The Last Unicorn, which we may end up covering at some point. In fact, we we plan to cover at some point. Um, they so they were involved in the adaptation of The Last Unicorn. Honestly, this this company is everywhere, and I feel like this is not the best representation because my memory of The Hobbit is far better than that. You think about like Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph, I think they're better than this. Um, I just I also think this this style of ad- of uh, animation just hasn't aged very well. 
they have these like very doll like uh, characters, and it, it, to me, it looks weird now. Yeah, and, there's some uh, inconsistency that I think. I, I think with animation, like having having the characters always look a certain way is super important. And there's certain like there's almost like a fluidity to how some of the characters look. Sometimes you'll see like, and it's because there's so many animators working on the same project and they're all doing it by mm-hmm. hand, and they can't make them look exactly the same all the time. Um, but there's something there's something about really trying to focus on making sure the characters have a consistent look. And I felt like this was an example of them fluctuating kind of all over the place. There were times that they looked really good, times they looked bad, times that they didn't even look like themselves. Um, and you know, maybe it's just part of what was going on at the time. And, and there are movies that I love that have that, have that sort of issue as well, where it's just inconsistent. Um, but it was just a, another thing to notice in this movie, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not like an expert on animation, you know what I mean? So I feel like if you really know a lot about it you probably have a lot more <laughs> to say about this, but I don't, um, I just as a layman watching it, um, to me, like I said before, like it was dark. Um, there just wasn't a lot of like magic or fun to ha- to be had in this film. Um, one moment I remember was when the, the, the file of Galadriel is used and I thought it was funny cause it had like this weird, really weird sound effect that would go off that, mm-hmm. um, was so eighties. Like I'm like, this is a sound effect you don't hear anymore, but I remember from like eighties cartoons being very popular for some reason. Yeah. Um, you know they also like about, the man? effect like, the effect that they did with the lighting at that you can tell it's mm-hmm. like a real world effect that they just did like some yeah. reflections off of something and like yeah just kind of put it over top of that of, of the file so well and they were known for for innovating um i think snow for a lot of those christmas specials they were specifically known for being able to do snow in a way that no one had ever done it before so wow. like i said if you know a lot about animation you might know about a lot about this rankin bass uh studio and and what they it's, it's 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 really it's literally an R and a B, so mm-hmm. I feel like I keep getting these mixed up. It's Rolf Bakshi and Rankin Bass, right? So it's really hard to keep them keep them straight in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I will say just in in terms of the look, I like I said before, I did not miss that rotoscope look of of the of the of the Lord of the Rings. So going back to something that was more of like a traditional animation of the time, I think was a good good decision. Um, the the Witch King looked wild all the nozzle looked <laughs> yeah. crazy well he sounded like fucking skeletor i wouldn't oh, even totally it was no the same 100%. voice yeah it might have been the same voice it, i don't even know it totally could have been oh and you know it's funny like there were one of the one of the hobbits um i was like that sounds like fucking shaggy from scooby-doo <laughs> guess what it was, it was. oh my the god guy from, awesome. the guy who did who did mary was the, was the same guy that's who did so shaggy cool. from scooby-doo and like the the 1960s like like uh scooby-doo i grew up watching that too like all those like mm-hmm. boomerang shows that you could see like the classic cartoons of on tv growing mm-hmm. up um that's crazy to think that that connection's there do you want to talk about grand when they when they bring it, <laughs> it into the battle and it's like clearly like something within the real world that they were like slamming up against something that was animated um but i thought it looked cool right i thought it looked pretty good it, it was like a bad, weird yeah. arm thing and I think a lot of this stuff would have worked better if you'd had two films to build up to it, like yeah. you're supposed to. If you'd had Fellowship and Two Towers and you actually had time to develop these characters. Instead, we're getting introduced to characters. We're getting introduced to characters in the in their most climactic moment of their story. The major example of this is Denethor, I would say. we They show us Denethor and tell us what he's doing that's bad all within the span of like three minutes. And then we never yeah. see him again. Yeah. Oh, actually, even bigger, I, I would say, is Eowyn. 
Right. She appears to have her moment. Yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, you true. Know, killing the Witch King. Yeah. The moment that's the moment we meet the character. And you know what's crazy is I actually kind of like that part still, even in this weird animated well, version. Well, she she says word for word what was in the book. So if you wanted to see what the version of Aowen is, if she said word for word instead of like in the, in the adaptation from Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. here's your version of it. Yeah. I mean, it worked. I, I thought the moment was cool. I think if you know the moment and you see you get to see it animated like this, you still appreciate it. Um, fucking, let's talk about Elrond. Mm-hmm. The design for Elrond. He's got like sparkles on his head. I, I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. It like distinguished the, the, the elves from, from the other people, but... Uh, again like anything that was in the hobbit and was carried over into this movie is like some of my favorite and that's how he looked in the hobbit okay and well, so like I, I was fond of that design uh you know it just works for me the sparkles on the head and everything like it's way uh, more magical than i've ever you know kind of in, uh, interpreted elrond before but i'll take it well like, and you cool. can you can see why like i one of i think we talked about this one i always kind of balked against the the version of elrond we got in peter jackson's films and part of it might be this carryover because like this is what i imagined elrond as much more and, magical uh, and like almost like gandalf level sort of sorcery potential yeah yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, what we got in the films. So we different. got some flashes of some stuff that I'm assuming was just recut from the Hobbit into this film. Absolutely. Like, yeah. There are exact scenes in the flashbacks. And, and they're some of the best scenes too. I was gonna say, because those flashbacks, I was like, God damn, some of these flashbacks they worked harder on than uh than some of the other major parts of the movie, and I could tell they were like kind of cutting in some of their greatest hits. Yeah, exactly. Um so much of like like Aragorn. This character doesn't work at all in the way that they do him. He seems like foolhardy. He's he doesn't know the pl- he doesn't have the plan of like we're going to distract for the hobbits. He just wants to go in and fight. He's like I'd rather die on the field. I, man, it's just like all these characters lose all of their weight and all of their development and they're they're all flat. And even Gandalf doesn't really work in this movie. As much as I like him as a carry over the Hobbit, the only reason I like him is because of the carry over the Hobbit. Like he he despairs at this point. He doesn't seem like wise. He doesn't seem to know anything. I don't know, man. It's just like it's really a bummer, actually. And I think if you're a fan of that original Hobbit animated movie, I I, I don't know. I don't even recommend this because it kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. I mean, it's the last one, and you could tell during the finale they wanted it to feel like a finale, like the the music and the Grey Havens, and they're going off with Elrond and Frodo and Bilbo and Gandalf and everybody are leaving. But, like, yeah. it felt so weird because I was like, I don't even care about these characters, and they're leaving no. right now, and they, they're, they're doing this whole finale and everything, and it just didn't, I, I, I don't know, just didn't feel earned. And like you said, it's because they undercut all the characters at every turn, it felt like. Yeah, and they do some weird songs where it's like, even even the time they had, they used in bizarre ways. Exactly, At yeah. times, you know? Yeah. It's like, why are you spending so much time on this when you desperately need to develop some other characters? <laughs> yeah. Gollum had a song at one point, I think, right? Maybe. Did he? What, what was his song about? About fish, probably, or something? I don't I don't remember. <laughs> he he definitely had songs in The Hobbit, okay. um, for sure. So, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. No Legolas, no Gimli. That's a big omission, yeah. And it's like not even having like Legolas in the background of a shot or Gimli like, you know, in the battle or something. It just seems like a, I don't know, even just for people. Hey, but no no Army of the Dead. I'll give them that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I was thinking we were going to get to see that too because they even, they even say that Aragorn has to take another route to get to where he needs to go and then they just jump mm-hmm. straight to when he's on the ships. 
he's already he's already yeah. gotten the ships and they're going in uh what do we think of the the orc design oh so i mean again this is kind of like the orcs i grew up with they look just like the goblins that that you there was a lot of in the, in the hobbit animated one of the weird things that i i really noticed now because like i always i always was like why do they fucking why are they so disturbing to me mm-hmm and I think uh, I was able to determine one of the reasons why now as an adult, they have more than one throat. Really? Did you notice this? What? Yeah. Oh. When they open their mouths, there's more than one oh, throat going down. Gotcha. And um, I remember Smaug, I think, had the same kind of mouth design. And so they, they did it for a lot of their monsters. And it is weird. And you don't notice it at first. You're like, why do their mouths look so weird? And that was why. Huh. Uh, it's a bizarre choice, but it, it does unsettle you. I will say that when I saw the orcs, having not even seen the animated Hobbit, I don't think I've seen the animated Hobbit. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, these look so much more like goblins than orcs to me. Like when I just think of a goblin, like that's what sort of the orc design was was screaming to me. Are, are they different enough from the goblins from the Hobbit, or are they almost the same thing, just a different color? I don't color, know. I don't, I don't think they. I don't think they really distinguish between the two. Okay. You know what I mean? I think they just call them goblins sometimes, call them orcs sometimes. I'm also. I, I would be struggle. I would struggle to tell the difference in Peter Jackson's film too, of the goblins. I know there are times where it's goblins versus orcs, but there's also unclear that they're goblins and right. not orcs. I don't know. I I, I feel like you, he does a pretty good job of. Cause you can definitely tell the urukai from from the goblins. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. The urukai for sure a little different. What did you think of the end of the movie where uh, there's I, a really funny part where he's like. You know what I'm trying to talk about? I was literally, I'm waiting till the end of our coverage to talk about it. I was wait, I have it written down and I was going to say it, uh, but go okay. ahead and say it because I, I think I know what you're talking about. It'd be funny if it's something different though. Okay. No, I'm talking about specifically Gandalf and he's sort of narrating and he's talking about how all the hobbits are getting a little taller and, you know, one day they're going to, they're going to almost be as tall as humans. And, and he goes, uh, <laughs> could be that there's a little hobbit in there or in, in there you. he's like, is there a little hobbit in you? And he like turns towards the camera. <laughs> I could, such I'd a like almost kid, children's movie thing. I, I could, love it. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's I, yeah. I guess it's for, if it's a kid's first experience seeing this kind of you know like ooh, is it in the real world? Like, does this eventually turn <laughs> into what we're in now? Like, I guess it's kind of yeah. cool for kids to get to that for the first time. But God, when he said he said verbatim, "Is there a little hobbit in you?" And I was like, yeah. whoa. And he like, looks at the camera. I was like, is there a hobbit in me? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, he uh, reiterates, man. is there? <laughs> yeah. And so all the hobbits in this movie are pale imitations of Bilbo in the first movie, in okay. my opinion, too. Like, they just all, I mean, like, maybe Frodo's the best, but Sam, I thought, was pretty bad. Uh, he was he seemed, like, really whiny and just, like, I never really connected with that character in this in this version. Um, and then Merry and Pippin were pretty awful. They they, they they really served no purpose. They had no development. We didn't know why we should care about them. They just happened to be there for certain events. We don't know why. It's, it was really weird. And then, yeah, to, to act like we should care about them and really like them, I think they were relying a lot on the goodwill of the first movie. Like mm-hmm. I really believe that they, they assumed everyone who's seeing this has seen the first movie um, because Bilbo is super likable. And you're all you're following his his story throughout the whole movie, and I don't know. In my opinion, as a kid, you know, I haven't seen it as an adult, but like I loved him, and I wanted to be a Hobbit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I, I can get it. But they just don't do a lot to earn that moment in this movie at all. I'm just gonna start asking you if there's a little Hobbit in you all the time. <laughs> I don't know. Is there? Uh, so is there the two things? I think that the Hobbit really le- lends itself to 
being turned into an animated film like this. You can cut out little stuff here and there, but the story isn't, first of all, it doesn't take you understanding the whole world of Middle Earth. It just throws you into it and, and you go along and that's how you learn of Middle Earth for the, for, for the first time. So that I think the reason that the Hobbit movie probably works, I haven't even seen it, I don't think, uh, is because it's it's such a self-contained story. It's much shorter and they just yeah. like go through and tell the story that they want to tell. Yeah. Whereas here they felt obligated to like do everything that happened in in Return of the King, but then also not hit on any of the major things they just wanted to like hit the checklist of the events like this happens this happens these are the major things that have to be in it these are the visually interesting things that people want to look at um but it also made me think about how you know and i think about this a lot because i do watch a lot of animation and uh and i'm involved in production so i understand like what it takes to get a lot of people on a set and to like actually shoot things and how you know the time that it takes and the money that it takes when, when doing animation, the idea that, you know, you can have these crazy moments with dragons and huge hordes of people that are all fighting each other. And it's it's not, you know, it'll take more effort on the on the part of the person actually drawing it, but it's not going to, realistically, it's not going to cost any more to do anything, you know what I mean? So you could, you could put the most elaborate thing that if you tried to do in the real world would cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it's just the same thing. It's it's like ultimately animation is someone sitting down and drawing things and, you know, putting it together in sequences that that turn into full movies. Um, so I was just like, there were moments where I was like, damn, like to think of how much time and effort and everything that Peter Jackson put into this and had to, in order to get it all like live action in comparison to um, some of these moments where they have really weird decisions in animation where you can go, you can go bonkers. You can go off the walls. You can do all this crazy stuff. It's not going to cost any more money. It's just up to the, the imagination of the person who's creating um, and to see some of the times where they were like, you know, shortchanging it or rushing something, it just felt like I was like, oh man, like you could really do something awesome with a with a Lord of the Rings at ad- like animated adaptation. Um, and clearly, maybe The Hobbit's the example of that. But just you know, and it, it's it- so so. I do want to. <laughs> I don't know that The Hobbit is like super beloved. Um, okay. I think some people liked it. Um, it's definitely more beloved than this movie. I think everyone kind of says this movie was a huge mess. Um, and, and even though the, the Bakshi version of Lord of the Rings has its fans, you know what I mean? Like we were not among them when we watched it, but I think for people who saw it when it came out, they liked that it was like, it was really cool to see Lord of the Rings on a screen, you know what I mean? In an adaptation. Mm -hmm. And it was this kind of new way of animating that was maybe exciting at the time. Um, so, and it was edgy in a way that a lot of this other stuff hasn't. This, this is kind of a return to clearly being more children oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think a lot of this is like huge nostalgia goggles for me. I, I'd be interested to know if other people, you know, liked like that original Hobbit, if they've even seen it now. I mean, it was made in 1977. The only reason I saw it was because it was like something my parents had recorded on a VHS, you know, so I don't even know if this was like a big thing people know about. Right. But I remember it was full of songs. So, you know what I mean? I, I think there's there's going to be a barrier for like, it's very folksy. It was the same singer. And he would do tons of these songs, and then also they, you know, they were the characters themselves would sing a lot. You know what I mean? Um, although a lot of the songs in The Hobbit were right out of the book, which is one of the cool things, like lifted from the book. Um, I think the the Misty Mountain songs that the dwarves sing, mm-hmm. I think, was very directly inspired by the version from that animated film. Um, I, I I have to go back and listen to it, but I remember it being very similar. So like when I heard the Misty Mountain song in the trailer for the for the first Hobbit film, mm-hmm. um, I think the only reason that that musical cue 
felt so familiar to me must have been that it was that it was directly inspired by that original animated version yeah i'll be excited to to see it and because the hobbit is my first experience like i read the hobbit was my first experience of any lord of the rings and then the the that was like around the time i think that the the lord of the rings films came out so then i saw those and the rest is downhill but i i have a fondness for the hobbit as well that I'm wondering if I'll be if I'll give a lot of leeway to this animated film. Like if if I'll love it, if I'll you know think it's okay. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it works. We'll out. We'll probably do it as a bonus episode. I yeah. think when when we get to that, probably next year or something. So if you're getting kind of sick of Lord of the Rings content, don't worry. We're not going to do that next week or anything. Right. The <laughs> um, last oh, thing. So there was one more scene I really wanted to talk about. Do you you want to, you had one more thing? Yeah, I just had one more scene uh, to mention okay. as well. It's the scene where Sam gets the ring. Um, and he's oh, okay, like yeah. powered up. Also, the ring gives people yeah. powers in this, but he like powers he, up. Yeah, and he gets a it makes whole him song. like stand taller and command people and stuff. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, and then there's this whole song where, you know, he's like a conquering hero. And, and like, I thought that was really interesting to take that from, you know, sort of the little inklings we get of it in the, in the book where we see, we hear mm-hmm. about Sam the Strong and then take it and do a full song and, and see like Sam actually being influenced by the ring like a lot. Uh, and he still yeah. gave the ring over to Frodo. Frodo maybe snatched it, but he still like basically willingly gave it over. But to see Sam affected in that way was totally different. Yeah, very different. Uh, so kind of a fun little fantasy moment. It goes on for a while. Yeah, it uh, does. Sam the Strong. Um, so the moment I want to talk about was, uh, I think I mentioned this in our main movie coverage, my memory of Frodo getting his finger bitten off. Um, very different than the actual scene. And I thought it was like a it was a funny kind of case study for like memory and how it changes and warps over time, right? Yeah. Um, because I remembered it being a brutal scene with like blood, and there's no blood in this in this scene. Like it's completely bloodless. It looks um, weird, and, bloodless like, as well. Yeah, and you see like a little nubbin. Yeah. Which like I guess is disturbing, but like as a kid that disturbed me so much. Like the idea of having your finger bitten off. Like I was like, oh my god, it's so crazy. Whereas like now I'm like, eh. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing. Well, the way it's like the way that I remember in Neverending Story when when they fall under the tar pit and the horse is like you know getting sucked in. It's still horrifying. It's still not great. Yeah, to watch. I mean the but, internet agrees with you on that one. But that was the <laughs> that was like the moment I, I remember when my childhood died when I saw that. Like I was like, <laughs> think, oh, oh, oh no. Hey, Neverending Story. That's something we got to get to, man. That's yeah. uh, that's an adaptation. Yeah, that'd be fun to cover. Yeah, so, I mean, it is funny how memory does that, right? Like, uh, it clearly is because I was so innocent and I hadn't seen anything at that point. I was so, I was, God, how, how young must I have been? Like, five? Like, I don't even know how young we're talking when I saw this. Um, and, yeah, it, it always stuck with me as being this, like, huge scene. And I, I was actually kind of, like, having some anticipation, like, getting ready to watch the scene. I was like, what is this going to be like? And it was like nothing. It was kind of a letdown. I feel like I vaguely remembered <laughs> while I was watching. I didn't remember that you said that in the episode, but I, when we were watching, I was like, uh, I thought I remembered maybe that you said something like this. So as we built up to that moment, I had some anticipation too. I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. And then it was just like, and it was just like remove the finger and we didn't see any yeah. blood. We didn't see any finger, nothing like you that. see anything. You never see. Yeah. You, I don't even think you see the finger. Right. Yeah. Such a letdown. Anyway, it's just funny, uh, you know, for uh, like, that's like a psychology thing right there. How, how my, in my mind it was built up to this huge thing that mm-hmm. it really wasn't. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the only things I remembered from this movie, and I now know why. It's because this movie is kind of incoherent. It and really as is. a kid watching yeah. it, like I had no, I'm like, what? I remembered the, uh, the whip song. And I remembered the moment of getting the finger bitten off. That was literally all I remembered. Yep. That was it. Well, now we've seen it and we've we've talked it through. Uh, I don't recommend 
unless you're like a diehard Lord of the Rings fan. If you are, you, maybe you'll get a kick out of it. Um, I don't think I'll, be, I, I will say that I don't think I'll be watching this again, maybe ever. So. <laughs> I do recommend you find the whip song and you find the Frodo of the Nine Fingers song on like YouTube because I bet you could see both of them. I'm sure. Um, yeah. I think that'd be fun to check it out if you've listened to this coverage and you want to know what we're talking about and you want to get a fucking earworm because it is an earworm. So be forewarned, I guess it'll get stuck in your head. It definitely was for mine. I put it, I put it, I think I posted it on our Instagram or like pieces of those songs. So you can check that out too. If it's probably gone by the time this comes out, but if you were around and you saw that that's what that was and hopefully you enjoyed this episode uh and all of our tolkien coverage you know our tolkien biopic we did earlier and then uh, on the main feed all the lord of the rings stuff that is that is now wrapped up um this is like a weird little bow we're putting on it here too i was gonna say the same thing it's like a weird way to say goodbye to return of the king and the trilogy as a whole but yeah it was it was fun overall it's a you know i'm saying the the coverage of all of the lord of the rings that we've done this mm-hmm. was a weird little kind of like outlier but that's kind of what these bonus yeah. episodes are for is to experience these weird things well yeah and and i feel like it it fills out our knowledge right like if someone talks to us about lord of the rings adaptations we want to be aware of this because this was it for a long time this was it if you were a lord of the rings fan you know so I, i'm glad that i'm like familiar with it now i know about this you know uh you know Rankin Bass production company and their connection to it and how they did all this stuff because uh I want to I want to be you know up on it all and I feel like I am now and hopefully our listeners uh have that knowledge too and they can feel like they they're kind of experts on all this stuff now but anyway that's going to be it and until next time thanks for listening <laughs>